Pride to Humility Part 2 and reading Acts Chapter 3 coming up on The Gray Schnapper. In case you're wondering, that was me playing the guitar. Definitely was not Guyan. All right, moving on. Welcome to the Gray Snapper Podcast, everybody. It's a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley, just in case you're wondering, and I'm your host, Jess Arns. Let's get right into it. Uh, Just a quick encouragement for you. I just always want to start off with this because there's definitely plenty of hard stuff going on in the world and in our homes and in our own hearts, Uh, but I I don't want to neglect to uh, encourage you at the same time in spite of all that. So today we're going to read from the book of John, chapter 17, verses 24 through 26, and this is the Lord Jesus praying to the Father regarding us, and this is pretty amazing. He says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known to them, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is what Christ's desire is for his people, that we would see his glory. And just imagine the glory, what kind of glory that God the Father would give God the Son. You know, we think of amazing like fireworks displays or pyrotechnic shows or whatever, something that just blows your mind and it will pale in comparison to the glory that God is going to give to the Son, give to Christ, and we get to be there, that we will get to see it. It's just going to blow our mind forever. And, uh, and then, I love this in verse 26, that when we know God, part of what He wants for us is that His love would be in us. That His love would be in us. Uh, you know, the source of real joy in our life is when we genuinely also know God's love for us and when His love is shown through us to others, that we experience His love, not just in the sense that He loves us, but that now we love like He loves, and that is where true joy is found, and that's what we have to look forward to. So, pretty awesome. Okay, so the weekly warning. It's a follow-up from the last week on spiritual pride. Just be aware of spiritual pride. Think about it in your life. Where does it show up? Where is jealousy? Where is uh, self-centeredness? Where is the desire for attention showing up? Perhaps it shows up in self-pity, where you um, are upset because things have not gone your way, or people don't pay attention to you like you want, or you're angry about not getting what you deserve. Um these things all come from pride, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but spiritual pride is taking pride in spiritual things, taking pride in your knowledge, in your giftedness, um, in your wisdom, in your sacrifices and service, 
taking pride in those things and, and seeking to elevate yourself against others or desiring those kinds of gifts because, and, and being sad, being down on yourself because you don't have them, right? That is spiritual pride. So last week we talked about the uh, manifestations of pride, different types of ways that it shows up from Stuart Scott's book, From Pride to Humility. This week we're going to just cover the signs of humility. How do you know what humility looks like? So we're going to turn over to that. But first, it starts with an appropriate view of yourself. What is an appropriate view of yourself? Well, one is that we are so very far beneath God and totally unworthy before Him. Psalm 8 says that. And we are no better and no worse than others in that sense because we are all desperately wicked and totally incapable of anything worthwhile in God's sight on our own. We can't, we can't do anything worthwhile in God's sight, without His help. And so, there's nothing that anyone has accomplished or possesses that they should take credit for themselves. And there isn't the the worth in and of ourselves. Uh, We don't deserve His love, and we don't deserve His uh, kindness, His benefits, His blessings, His attention. God gives that out of His glory, because He is good, because He's amazing, because He's compassionate but not because we deserve it. And so humility is understanding that we are low in comparison to God. And so we serve Him with a lowly mindset, a lowly mindset. We serve others with a lowly mindset. And how do you know that you are humble towards God? As you will be humble towards other people. We won't be focused on self in any way. So that's the way that humility is to work out in our life. Um... So, moving on, what are the... First of all, there's some examples of humility, but Jesus, of course, is the greatest example. He existed in the form of God, Philippians 2 says, starting in verse 6. But he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself to be, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine as meek, and lowly, even though he knew that he was going to inherit all things, that he is deserving of all worship, yet he was humble and lowly. And in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pretty amazing. There's many other biblical examples, but we won't have time to get into that. I want to focus in on the manifestations of humility the manifestations of humility. And again, these come from Stuart Scott. Number one, recognizing and trusting God's character. The person who is humble acknowledges that God, who God is, and he rehearses God's character often because he trusts God more than himself. And he trusts God more than he trusts people. And even in trials, this person will thank God and remember how much he needs God. So that's number one, recognizing and trusting God's character. That's humility. Number two, seeing yourself as having no right to question or judge an almighty and perfect God. A proud person, remember, judges God even, complains against God, thinks he's got better ideas than God. How ridiculous. True humility sees yourself as having no right to question him. Number three, focusing on Christ. 
See, Christ is our life. He's our first love. There's nothing else that we need and no other person that we must have. Uh, And so our focus is on him, not on receiving attention from others. Number four, humility, praise. And praise a lot. Humble people worship God. They see themselves as totally dependent on him. We have no power apart from him, and therefore we will depend on him in prayer. Number five, humility is overwhelmed with God's undeserved grace and goodness. A humble person sees himself as truly deserving hell and is immensely grateful to God for forgiving him of so much. The mountain of sin that we have built up, God has removed, and we are overwhelmed by that grace, not deserving of it. Number six, we're thankful and grateful in general towards others. Humble people thank God and other people often. They expect nothing. And so anything that is received is greatly appreciated, First Thessalonians 5.18. Being grateful for others and their work. Number seven, being gentle and patient. Humble people want to act like God. They're not focused on what they want. They also want others to love God the way that God loves them. They want others to know God. They're willing to wait. They're not easily irritated. A humble person is gentle and patient. Number eight, seeing yourself as no better than others. A humble person knows his own sinfulness, and so he doesn't look down on other people. He knows that he's capable of sin. He's, he knows he's capable of even the worst sin. He knows that God's grace is the only thing that has kept him from going as far into sin as he could have. You're not better than others. Number nine, a humble person has an accurate view of our gifts and abilities. Humble people don't bemoan the fact that they're not as gifted, and they don't exaggerate their abilities. They have a sober view. That doesn't mean that you act like you have nothing that you act like there's no, um, that God hasn't given you any giftedness or pretend like you're not good at anything or not useful in any way. It's having a sober understanding of it, but it's also not exaggerating it. It's understanding that it comes from God um, and that in the broad scheme of things, whatever giftedness I have is just a small token of what is actually needed, that all, that all things come from God and that what people need is God, Right. So you have an accurate view of your gifts and abilities. That comes from Romans 12, 3, to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but with sober judgment. Number 10, being a good listener. Humble people consider what others have to say as more important than what they have to say. They take an interest in others by asking questions and listening. Self is not their primary focus. You listen and you ask questions. You make sure you understand. Number 11, talking about others only if it is good or for their good. Okay, so this is the opposite of gossip. When you talk about others, you do it for their good or if it's good, right? If it's a good thing about them, you talk about them. You speak well of others, not negatively, unless it is necessary for their good. So you don't harp on other people's weaknesses and sins. You don't spread around just for the sake of tearing someone down. Okay, that, that, humil- that is what humility does. Number 12, being gladly submissive and obedient to those in authority. Number 13, preferring others over yourself. You're willing to put others ahead of, your, uh, ahead of you. Number 14, being thankful for criticism or, or reproof. And note, 
it's even if that reproof is wrong. You're thankful when someone brings to you something that is criticism, uh, reproof, rebuke. You're not offended by it. You're not hurt by it. You're not devastated by it. A humble person can receive criticism without being devastated. Number 15, having a teachable spirit. Humble people know they don't know everything. And even when they think they're right, they're willing to listen and consider. They know that God can use anyone to teach them. Even Balaam was taught by a donkey. <laughs> uh, and humble people have many, uh, many people that they admire and respect because they're not judging everyone. Number 16, seeking always to build up others. Humble people encourage others. They use words that build up and say what is necessary for edification. They don't cut others down. It's Ephesians 4, 29. And then verse, seven, or verse 17, number 17, serving. Humble people are on the lookout for ways to serve and assist others. They're the first to volunteer for jobs that no one else wants, and they take the initiative to reach out and to serve. They, they, they see themselves as a servant, and even doing things that are um, painful, difficult, they're willing to do it. Verse eight, uh, number 18, they're quick to admit that they're wrong. They have no problem saying that they're wrong, and thank you for telling me. They, they receive a rebuke. If you rebuke a wise man, they will love you for it. Okay, number 19, they're quick to grant and ask for forgiveness. They don't hold things over people. They have no trouble asking for forgiveness, and they, because they, what they really want to do is to make peace. Number 20, they repent of sin as a way of life. Okay, so all believers, while we are no longer dominated and enslaved to sin, we, um, we're not dominated by it, yet there's still a sin that, that, that has a place in our life that we need to repent of. And so we're constantly growing and seeking ways to repent. Number 21, minimizing other sins and shortcomings in comparison to your own. A humble person thinks about his own sin more often than another's. He doesn't sit there and just mull over how he's been wronged. He realizes how he has wronged others. Number 22, being genuinely glad for others. When someone else, when things go well for someone uh, or they get uh, a position or whatever, they're glad for them. They don't criticize them. Number 23, being honest and open about who they are and the areas in which they need to grow. They're humble and honest about their the need to grow. And they ask for help and accountability. Um, they know that they need each other. They need other brothers and sisters to help them. And then number 24, this is the last one, possessing close relationships. Okay, So not possessive, <laughs> possess, they have close relationships. They have friends, loved ones. They're friendly. They love others. They're willing to ask for help and share burdens and problems. They have people that know them, that are close to them. And that is the portrait of a humble person. So next time we're going to talk about how do you get from pride to humility? How do you get over there? Because it's tough. <laughs> it doesn't come by, we don't come by it naturally. And so that's what we're going to talk about next time. And now we get the great privilege of continuing in the book of Acts. I love reading this. This is awesome. Acts chapter 3. And now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. 
and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give, his, give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Wow. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want to stop right there. You note that this, this healing, this guy, everybody knew him. Everybody knew that he was lame. Everybody knew that he couldn't walk from the time that he was born. This wasn't some guy who had a backache. This wasn't some guy who twisted his ankle walking into church that day. This guy was legitimately unable to walk and had to beg for his, uh, for his provisions. And everybody knew it. And Peter, he calls it out. Very plainly and directly. He doesn't make a big show. Doesn't get the music going. Doesn't get the lights and the fog going. Doesn't get people riled up. He plainly says, in the name of Jesus, walk. And he was healed instantly. That is a true healing. That is a true healing. None of this fake stuff that you can't verify. Everybody knew it. Everybody saw it. It was unmistakable. And he was healed from that day on. And how amazing the glory of God. And they all, they all saw, they were, and they worshiped, they were filled with wonder about what had happened. Now verse 11, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran to them, to the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. 
To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these things. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made from your, made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Oh, man. What a sermon, and what boldness. And we get to see more next time of what God does through Peter and John after that. Thank you for listening to The Gray Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. If you'd like more info about the church, you can go to gracenapa.org. And until next week, keep swimming.